Whose voice is the loudest in your life? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about audible voices necessarily. I'm talking about the ones inside your head. Whose opinion has the most say in your life? Sometimes it can be audible. Whose voice shapes the way that you act? In all of your little moments in your life that you, uh, that you don't talk about to other people, whose opinion, whose voice actually has the most influence in those moments? Whose voice do you obey most frequently? Now, when it comes down to uh, uh, whose voice kind of shapes you, uh, the, the voice of the person or the people that you kind of obey and are influenced by, I reckon you've got three options. Okay, and it's pretty straightforward. The uh, three options are God's voice, other people's voice, that's number two, and number three, your own. It's pretty much it. Now you might, I mean, it's entirely possible some people care about the opinion of their dog, all right, which in some ways is good because they can really hurt you if they go crazy, right? But not in the same way as uh, people care about the opinions of other people. Um, this is kind of, that's basically your options. God's voice, other people's voices, or your own. Or some kind of mixture of the three. Now, we live in a culture which um, doesn't really have a place for him, for, uh, for God's voice. So you're kind of left with other people's voices and your own voice. And uh, other people's voices are a pretty treacherous place from which to, uh, to get your identity and significance from. Has anyone ever noticed that? They can be a very good place as well, but they also can be very treacherous. And our culture tends to uh, view other people's voices as mostly treacherous and best to just stay away from. So they kind of strike those two out and leave you just with your own voice, your own opinion of yourself. And I think um, people's struggling with their own voice and living under the, the weight of their own voice is, uh, it, it, I mean, it's one of the things that we call that is low self-esteem. People shut out God, really. They've shut out other people and now they're just struggling with who they are within themselves and what they think about themselves. But we know in, uh, in Christianity that you're meant to cross out the bottom one, Right? <laughs> That's kind of the deal. Like when it comes to Christianity, you, you cross out the bottom one because you're supposed to die to self and, and you're probably supposed to cross out the other people one and you're meant to only listen to God. But the reality is that we all kind of have some kind of strange mix of the three. We feel like we can't, even though we struggle with our own opinion about ourselves, our own voice about ourself, ourselves, we... Um, we kind of think we've got to cross that out and sometimes we can end up in this weird kind of mix uh, between other people's voices and God's voice. Is that fair enough? Now, I actually think there are genuinely people who don't care about what other people think. That's a whole other thing, <laughs> all right? And I could use the word issue about that, right? That is, that is a whole other issue. Like if you, if you literally live in a way that you don't care at all about what other people think, you'll probably be like the philosopher um, Schopenhauer who said that other people's minds are too wretched a place uh, from which to derive your value and your significance. And so he determined to, um, to not pay any attention to what other people think. And he died alone with a cat. <laughs> All right? That, that's kind of where that one goes. All right? Um, and if you love cats, maybe that's a good thing. All right? Um, now we could get stuck between the uh the top two there i'm not going to address the bottom one um and and the the irony of it all or that maybe it's not the irony that this the difficulty of it all is that um it's not just even what people say it's also what we think people are saying so the old statement the old quote you may have heard this one of I've mentioned this one before at the project. I am not who I think I am. I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Which just highlights the reality that we're not even just 
We're not living by who we think we are. We're not even living by what other people say we are. We're often living by what we think other people are saying we are. Does that make sense? You know, as Christians, we know that uh, we're meant to die to self and be attuned to God, but we can get stuck in the opinions of other people and get stuck there. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't get stuck there. You just can't. You need to clarify and to pursue the voice that is the loudest in your life. And I think that's actually what we see in Acts chapter 5 today that Jaden just read, is we actually see the very, very loud voice of God and we see people who under pressure are able to listen to uh, God's loud voice. So here's nailing it down into three points this morning. What we see in this passage, I think, is we see loud voices, loud opinions... And a louder voice. That's what we see. Let's kick in to number one there. Loud voices. Verses 17 to 27 you can have a look at there. This is the, the story of the, uh, the high priest rising up. They're getting jealous. The, uh, the apostles get arrested. They get thrown in a common jail. During, a night, uh, during the night a, uh, an angel comes along, busts them out. And they go straight back and do the very thing they were just doing. Uh, because God sent them back in there to do it. And, uh, and they're basically in contempt of court. They got told not to do that, and now they're back in there. Um, and, and they get brought in, in this trial before the Sanhedrin, which is the, the court that actually convicted Jesus and got the Romans to kill him. And the Sanhedrin, back in the day, is a very loud voice. It was a very, very loud voice and it was filled with people with loud voices. Their opinions could be the death of these Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's one of the things, one of the fears, I think, is, is death and kind of non-existence in some way and other people's opinions can kind of take us out. And in a very real sense, these people in the Sanhedrin could literally organise for these people to be executed, these apostles to be executed. So I want to have a quick look really briefly at a few different characters, a couple of different characters, and then just the Sanhedrin uh, in general, just so you can get uh, a bit of an idea of what we're doing here um, and and what the apostles are uh, are faced with. Uh, The first group is the Sadducees. You would have heard of the Sadducees. This is one of the three varieties of Judaism. Some priests were Sadducees. They rejected the concept of fate and embraced the idea of free will, uh, they didn't believe that the soul exists after, after death and this was kind of one area of really common disagreement p- between them and the Pharisees and they tended to be a little more aggressive than the Pharisees. They actually considered it a virtue to dispute with their teachers. Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, wrote this about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and I quote, The Pharisees are affectionate to each other and cultivate harmonious relations with the community. Listen to this about the Sadducees. The Sadducees, on the contrary, are even among themselves rather boorish in their behaviour and in their relations with their compatriots, are as rude uh, as to aliens. The Pharisees are naturally lenient in the matter of punishments, is what Josephus says. So you've got kind of the, I mean, if you want to think about it this way, the the Pharisees are kind of look a little bit more like the good cops, And the Sadducees sound a little bit more like the bad cops. They're a little bit harder to work with and they're a bit intense. The Pharisees were another Jewish sect. Some of them were also scribes. Uh, They were thought to be experts in the law. They were were power brokers between the aristocracy and the masses. Um, They promoted special traditions. These, These characters, these Pharisees, actually dominated Jewish society. They had supplanted... The, uh, the priests, to a large degree, because they were just more effective leaders than the priests, and they were kind of the authorised teachers of Jesus' time. They effectively controlled the state for a long period of time. That's, that's really where the Pharisees sat. But the Pharisees, quite interestingly, actually didn't... That they believed that you actually needed to persuade people and win people over, and that you didn't do it through sheer kind of brute strength, and yet... Interestingly, in the back end of this passage, you kind of see that kind of dynamic going on with this uh, quite famed Pharisee. Now, what was the Sanhedrin? Well, here's, here's, the, uh, here's a, a graphical 
um, version of the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin comprised the great, the, sorry, the high priests, the scribes. It had Sadducees in it and Pharisees and the high priest families. So if you look up here, they would actually um, just down in the. Uh, this is the image of uh, Herod's temple, and there was a there was a chamber in there called the Chamber of Hewn Stone, and that's where the Sanhedrin would actually meet. Um, there were seventy one men and it was led by the high priest you can see there in the image that the uh, accused would stand there the high priest would be there there'd be a couple of clerks and there'd be uh, members of the Sanhedrin on either side and the council could decide almost any fate of its people except the death penalty which was decided by the Romans so they basically had complete kind of jurisdiction over all Jews that's what, that's basically where the Sanhedrin sat Now, it wasn't, um, it wasn't just civil jurisdiction, it was also criminal jurisdiction to some degree. They obviously could arrest people, they arrested the apostles, they threw them in a common jail, um, and they were empowered to judge cases which did not involve capital punishment. But remember, the Sanhedrin actually sent uh, Jesus to the Romans and recommended that he be executed, basically, and so he gets executed, so they have this amazing power. So if you go to uh, Acts chapter 5 with me, I just want to read verse 21 to uh, 25 with you. Mostly because I think it's funny. (laughs) But uh, it's also the text for today, but I think it's funny. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Like that's just a note, like everyone's in. Like this is like the full bench of the high court. Right, we're uh, taking this thing really seriously and sent to the jail for the apostles who they'd thrown in jail the night before. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, no one, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people now this to me is like some kind of slapstick comedy isn't it it's like they bail these guys up they throw them in jail it's like okay we're going to get everyone together the next morning imagine everyone kind of hustling in probably in their special clothes and they're all getting together and everyone gets set up and they just go okay right can someone just go and get them and they go down and they look for them and they they go to get them and they're not there in the cell and it's like well where are they and then someone else walks in and goes hey they're actually over there doing the very thing that you threw me in jail for. I, got, I just think that's funny. <laughs> and I think it's even funny. I mean, sometimes the Sanhedrin would meet at the high priest's house, but imagine if this um, hearing was actually in the temple precinct and they're actually in another part of the temple precinct. I mean, that's the way I read it. They're in another part of the temple precinct doing the thing that they got thrown in jail for the night before and ever, all these important people are waiting. And what are they, where are they? So they bring them without force. This is verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. Why? For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Now, what does that tell you? People's voices can be loud even when you're the one who's in authority. Can't they? Do you see here that there's all sorts of stuff going on and there's all kinds of jockeying going on here based on the voices and opinions of people and the pressures that are actually going on around the place here and they bring them not by force to appear before the Sanhedrin and here they are the apostles standing in the place of that image there where the accused is in front of all the heavies what are they going to do now it's a good question isn't it What would you do if you were them? If you were standing there right in front of them all? Loud voices. Second thing I think we see in this passage is loud opinions. Read with me uh, Acts 5 verse 27 to 33. And the high priest questioned them saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching 
and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33 there, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. These guys have the legal power to kill the apostles, really, to recommend that the Romans kill them. And they're pretty frustrated. And they get fired up. And they get angry. You know, it, technically they didn't have the authority to kill anyone, but you think about what they did to Jesus. Could that have actually happened in the Sanhedrin on this particular day? The apostles, there's two against 71. That's not good odds. <laughs> two against 71. And not just any kind of 71, not like 71 kids that they just brought inside into a room. 71 people that make up the heavy hitters of the day. These people have a particular set of beliefs and they are bent on promoting and protecting these beliefs. I mean, you can see it even in verse 28 there in the reality that the Sanhedrin is actually not that interested in engaging with the apostles arguments or even who Jesus is they're just not interested in doing that they just want them out of the way let's just get them out of the way so that we can do what we want to do and that's the feeling that I get like when you read this section of Acts it's like you guys are just a stone in our shoe and we just want to get you out of the way so we can get back to what we want to be doing you know they're following what they think is true the Sanhedrin and they're not really wanting to engage with what's going on they don't want to engage with the miracles. They just they don't want to have a conversation about it. I want to suggest to you this morning, this is actually not that much different to our day. There are not many people who actually want to engage in arguments and debates in our day. There's not many people in our day who seem to want to engage with who Jesus is. Our day is a day of opinions, is it not? That's what it is. People are not really interested in having a good conversation about the logic of why one thing is better than the other thing. They just want to be able to say their opinion. Has anyone noticed this? And, and you know what happens when you're in a culture like that where people have just got kind of swirling opinions. People actually start to get hurt by the swirling opinions. And if you're not actually prepared to have an argument about what's good and bad and, and right, and wrong and, and worse and better, the only thing that you're really left with is then, then you've got to come up with laws to stop people having opinions in ways that hurt other people. Instead of actually having a conversation about what's going on. And as a Christian, you and I are in court every day. <laughs> there wouldn't be one day where you wouldn't go into this world where the, the foundational beliefs of your faith aren't at odds with people around you. Just not one day. And you, you actually have people around you who have loud voices that threaten to control and to silence you. And they're actually very powerful voices. Now, in one sense, you can actually control a society through laws. You can't actually do that. But you know there's another way that you can control a society, and it's not using laws, it's actually using shame. You can control a society by using shame. And I think that we use both. Anyone who thinks that Australian society is not a shame-based society is kidding themselves. It just is. You know, if, if, you, if you think that we're not a shame-based society, well, just have a look at what happens when people in our society push against the culturally accepted norms. I mean, it's a conveyor belt of shame comes out, isn't it? We call them haters and trolls. I mean, technology's just given the opportunity for people to say whatever they want and to just pour shame on top of people if you step out of line with the status quo. But I want to actually say this, that I actually think there is an appropriate function for shame in a society, right? And I think the Bible does make space for there to be an 
a working of shame that is actually positive and helpful. Listen to this from 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 14. If anyone does not obey what we say in this matter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. The implication is that that shame is actually going to bring about a good bit of work in that person's life. Now there are actions, I think, that ought to be rightly rebuked by shame. I don't think we have to legislate everything. I think that we can I think that shame can play a really, really good role in society, right? But here's the key, here's the key reality when it comes to shame and its application to shape society for good. It depends upon the moral law that it's based upon. And that's where we're in trouble. We actually live in a culture where there aren't many objective moral laws. And so shame is, I think, just thrown around willy-nilly and we're all at sea. Now, let me, uh, let me give you a couple of cultural examples. And I'm not thinking, like it's, Christians typically, if you, if you talk about where does the gospel actually run counter, where does it run counter to culture? Most people start thinking about moral things, okay? And we could have that conversation, it wouldn't be that hard. But I like to think a little bit deeper and think about what are the, 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 uh, the principles of our culture that, um, that the gospel runs counter to? Like, what are the ways that we operate that the gospel actually runs counter to? Now, this, it's, it's an interesting question and it's actually part of the community group notes for this week for you to think about it, right? But um, you, you don't ask a fish what the wetness of water is like. Right? It's actually really hard when you're in the middle of something to actually notice what's going on around you. So I just say that as a bit of a caution because I think you just need to, you need to sit on it, you need to chew it over because it's hard to actually notice the culture that's around you when you're swimming in it. Here's, here's the first one. Let people be. They can do whatever they want as long as it doesn't affect me. Isn't that an Australian one? Let people be. That's, I think that's the main reason why the gay marriage vote got through in the end because I think that's one of the key things about Australian culture. Let people be. And, and here's one that's connected to it uh, really closely. You can have an opinion but you're not allowed to say that someone else's opinion is wrong. Have you noticed that? Well, that's the thing. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, you can have a controversial opinion, but don't you dare go out and actually say that someone else's opinion is wrong. And sometimes for us, I think, as Christians, you can kind of go out into a space like that and you can say, well, I told that person about Jesus and they don't want him, so I'm just going to let it be. I'm not going to push into their space. It's up to them. Now, it is up to them, right? But there's an eternal reality that we're dealing with, isn't there? which means that we're probably just not going to comply fully with that cultural rule. We're going to step inside someone else's space. Like, have you ever heard of deception and self-deception? Anyone heard of that? That's a thing. <laughs> you know, have you ever heard of someone that needs to be rescued that doesn't think they, needs to be, they need to be rescued? Like, totally, right? People don't always know what's good for them. I mean, this is not a sermon about... Uh, gay marriage, right? But who would have ever thought that we would have been having a debate about that 20 years ago? Who would have ever thought? Now, if you say we're not up for that, you get called out. Even in the church. And you, and you, you get called out for being unloving. <laughs> That's what happens. It's like you can have your own opinion, Peter, and people in the project, you can have your own opinion but you can't come out and say that someone else's opinion is wrong. But even in gay marriage, like, it's almost like you can't have your own opinion. Like, and sanctity of life issues, that's where we're going at the moment. You know, you saw all the votes, or the vote that happened in the New South Wales Parliament this week on abortion. You know, we at the project do not believe that the mother's rights override the rights of the child. 
euthanasia. That's happening. We have a different view of life and suffering. We actually think that suffering is not all bad. <laughs> that's what we think. That's, that's like radically different. And you just need to know, and if, if you're not, not kind of into it and you don't read stuff, um, there are some loud opinions. So this was uh, one of the Greens uh, members of New South Wales Parliament this week. Greens MP Jenny Leong, another co-sponsor, said she was outraged the bill had taken so long and offended that so many men believe that they have the right to make laws that dictate what we do with our bodies. The sound of men arguing, listen to this, the sound of men arguing over our personal reproductive health choices hurts my ears and it offends my very core, she said on Tuesday. That's a strong opinion, right? It's really like, man, you need to shut up. It's like, really? Like, we can't have an opinion on this? We can't say what we think? It's the first one. Let people be. They can do whatever they want as long as it doesn't affect me. Second one I just want to throw your way is um, the tall poppy syndrome. Now, there are a lot of things about the tall poppy syndrome that are wonderful. It has a way of just keeping things trimmed a little bit and keeping people humble, right? And usually, if you're doing really well and you want to talk about that, there'll be a lineup of 100 people who are ready to cut you down to size. Let's start with your kneecaps, right? That's a good place to start. Hard to stand up without the bottom half of your legs, right? We'll start chopping them down. I mean, I talk about this with Ed Welsh in the States. He goes, it is an admirable thing, the tall poppy syndrome coming from the States. It does keep a lid on pride to some extent. But you know what? That is another cultural area where we're just going to differ a little bit with our culture. You know why? Because we are into encouragement, aren't we? Isn't that the thing? God calls himself the God of all encouragement. So we are into encouragement. And we are actually into people doing jobs and doing them really well and stepping up and taking on responsibility and nailing it, aren't we? Like, I think that's great what's going on with Chris, taking things over. It's like, let's do that. Let's get people in positions of leadership and support them and bless them and pray for them and let's, let's do everything we can so they nail it and they do a really sweet job at it. And you know, sometimes you can get in parts of Australian culture and it's just not cool to encourage someone. Or well, who cares? Like, let's just do it anyway. That's one of those little kind of cultural things that we can, we can get stuck in. It can go against the grain sometimes to be encouraging. So let me ask you, how do you travel in handing the opinions of other people? How much do they affect you? You know, if we go back to that image, who gathers around you in a way where you feel like their judgment on you is going to come if you don't comply with what they say. Now, this could be a real thing, and it may not even be a real thing. It just may be a thing in your head. Who's in your Sanhedrin? Who would you put in there? Who, who shapes your actions, your activity? Is it your boss? Is it your friends? Online critics? Your family, your spouse, who has an inordinate, too strong a level of control and influence over the way that you live your life? All right. Now, I'm going to ask you 10 questions. Are yes, no questions? All right. Um, I think, let me just double check. Yeah, the yes, no questions, the whole 10. So I just want you to, you just need to tally somehow. Um, your tally of yeses. That's really what I'm, so if you need to use a phone, you can get your phone out. If you've got a bit of paper, you can do that, grab a pen. Or, yeah, Ruth's going, yeah, we, there's 10 fingers. So if that's how you do most of your maths, you can use your, uh, your fingers. <laughs> that's a good suggestion. Thanks, Ruth. Didn't mean to him. Didn't mean to shame you there. <laughs> Are you ready? The, um, 
the terminology for what we're talking about here is fear of man. Uh, your fear of other people, your, uh, your fear of their, judge, their judgment of you, of not complying with what their opinions are of what you should do, um, controls your behaviour and shapes you. So uh, here's the 10 questions, all right? Here's the first one. Have you struggled with peer pressure, what people think, what they say, being accepted by that person, being approved by that group of people? Yes or no? Tally it up. Do you find yourself to be overcommitted and a people pleaser? Most of these questions come from Ed Welsh's book, uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small. Uh, Really good stuff. Number three. Are embarrassment or shyness common for you? Do you second-guess decisions because of what people might think? Yes or no? (coughs) Do other people often make you angry, depressed or drive you crazy? Six, do you avoid people? Seven, do you take too much responsibility for other people? Eight, are you too committed to being nice, keeping peace and avoiding conflict? Nine, When you compare yourself to other people, do you feel good about yourself? Ten, have you ever been too timid to share your faith in Jesus because others might think you are are an idiot? So get yourself a tally out of ten, all right? Does anyone know what their tally is? If, I'm not even saying what the benchmark or the threshold is for having a fear of man issue, but if you actually said yes to a few of those, you probably have a problem. But here's what I'd like you to do. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Can you just turn to the person next to you and tell them what your tally was? All right? You've got 30 seconds. All right. I... I won't have a show of hands, but you'd lie about it, right? If you've got a fear of man issue, it's like, I've got 10, but I've not put my hand up because everyone will think I've got a problem. Loud voices, loud opinions, and the third one, a louder voice. There is this thunderclap, in my view, in this passage that we're looking at, and this is it. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. Do you hear this? There is just, there is a loud voice. There's all this stuff going on. The authorities are getting messed up because they're fearful of the people. There's all these kind of things going on. But in the middle of all of this, there's this thunderclap moment where the, uh, the apostles say, you know what? We don't need to do what you say. We need to do what God says. That's what we need to do. And God's voice is loud and it's louder than everyone else's. And they are the most solid people in this whole story. (laughs) They're not these shadowy figures that disappear and they meld into their surroundings like a chameleon does. They're the ones who actually stand and they stand strong uh, because God's voice is loud for them and it dictates the way that they operate. Well, where do you see it? I reckon we see it in five different places. Here's the first one. The first place that we see it is in the prison. You know, an angel of the Lord shows up and gets these guys out. It's like a Hollywood movie, right? They're thrown into the common jail, but God busts them out. And it wasn't just any old angel. It wasn't just Michael the archangel. He's pretty impressive. It was the angel of the Lord. There was something about God's personal presence right there, busting them out. It's amazing, right? This is loud. This is a loud voice in the middle of all of this stuff going on. Jail would have felt loud. If you got thrown in jail, if you've been in jail, it's a loud voice. 
But there's something louder. The angel of the Lord is coming in. And the angel of the Lord has an instruction, a call of sorts. What does the angel of the Lord say? The angel of the Lord gets him out, dominates everything that's going on and says, you just need to go straight back to where you were and keep doing what you're doing. You know, and if you go to the text there, it actually talks about, this is verse 20, go and stand in the temple. Now, if you don't know, the the New Testament was written in Greek, right? And the word... The sense of the word behind the word translated stand there is this. Hold your ground. That's what it is. Hold your ground. Stand firm. Dogged steadfastness. I got you out. Now you need to go back in and you need to hold your ground and keep doing the thing that you were doing. Straight back to where they were. And, and I, I want you to get this. God is up for people holding their ground. Amen? He is totally up for people holding their ground. And, and I think maybe even for some of you this morning, the Lord would say to you, get back in there and hold your ground. <laughs> get back in there and hold it. Go and stand in the middle of that. And what do they do? Well, verse 21, And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak. They get busted out that night, they get home, they set the alarm. We've got to get straight back in there as soon as the sun's up. Now this for me is like shades of Abraham, right? You know, where God actually said to Abraham in the Old Testament, take your son, your only son Isaac, this is Genesis 22, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He's up in the morning, he's on his way. How quickly do you follow God? And some of you go, well, I don't know what he wants me to do. And I'd say to you, well, have you done the last thing he told you to do? And that, that's been a pattern in my life. It's like, oh, what do you want me to do? It's like, well, just go and do the last thing I told you. And, the last, and as soon as you're done, you might get another communique about what I want you to do next. Some of you go, well, how do I know whether God's telling me to do something? Well, you could just do what it says in the Bible because that's God telling you to do something. And get in the habit of doing his stuff. And then his spirit will actually lead you into the places that you need to go and the things that you need to do. And don't ask yourself questions like, God, do you want me to encourage that person? Because the answer is yes. Okay? Now, would there be a time where there'd be um, a season where the Spirit would lead you to say something that would really land really well for someone and just be really rich for them? Absolutely. Okay? But there are so many things in the Scriptures to do that teach you how to operate in the ways of God that you should just get about doing them and then the Spirit will move you and and direct you to where you need to go. You know, I mean, it's like, is God going to, is he sitting up there and he's just going, Peter, you buffhead, why did you go and encourage Jaden? <laughs> I didn't tell you to do that. <laughs> is he going to say that? He's not going to say that. That's, that's good for all the time. There are so many things that are just good for all the time. You move in that stuff, the Spirit will lead you, he'll direct you, and you'll do some cool stuff for God. The Spirit helps you to do things that are timely but what God says to do in the Bible is always a good thing to do because he's the Lord get about doing some good things number three we see a louder voice I think in the apostles response to the Sanhedrin have a look at it again verse 29 to 32 we must obey God rather than men now let's just get a whole bunch of petrol and throw it on that fire The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom he killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That is massive. When their lives are on the line, they turn up, don't they? This is the boldness that they actually prayed for. Where does it come from? It comes from them being attuned to a louder voice. That's where it comes from. 
Now, you, you don't have to answer this with your hands or out loud. But do you, do you like the idea that you could get in the middle of a pressure situation and turn up and be able to hold your ground? Is that in a really appropriate, good way? Is that, is that attractive to you? That's attractive to me. When um, I, I uh, got invited a number of years ago when Easterfest was running and they had combined church services on the Sunday night, I got invited to preach at one of them. Right, and they get about ten to fifteen thousand people there. And uh, man, I was like uh, a steel cart on the on a horse riding down a gravel road with all the bolts just kind of falling. I mean, the pressure of it for me, I just thought I'm speaking in front of ten thousand people. Everyone was giving me all this advice. It's like you can't see the people when you're up there because there's all these lights on you, but you just have to do your thing and rah rah rah. And there's all these all these things going on, and I'm just it was an exciting opportunity. And you know. I, it was a real battle for me to trust in the Lord. I was pretty nervous about it because fear of man has been and continues to be a bit of a thing for me. So you just multiply it. I mean, here it might be 150. Easter Fest, it was like 10,000, maybe 11,000. It's like that. They get, that got pretty intense for me. But you know, the cool thing was that God helped me to trust him in that. And do you know, in the middle of a pressure situation through trusting in Jesus, I went out and I did the best that I could. And I don't mean the best that I could um, given the situation, I mean the best that I could. Like at that point in time, like I, I just couldn't, I don't think at that point in time I could have spoken better. And I got a bunch of really positive comments, which was nice, but you know, the best thing about it was like in the pressure situation, I trusted in God and I was able to get it done. And I'm not even saying that to talk myself up. It's just, that's just, that's how it felt. It's like, God, I did that for you and whatever it is, you can, you can do whatever you want with it. Would you like that? Would you, would you like to be like the apostles and in the middle of a pressure situation turn up and nail it? Because that's what the Spirit is about inside of you. You have the same Spirit as them and they listen to a louder voice and you can actually do that. If you're not confused by the voices and you actually get attuned to the loudest voice which is God himself, you can turn up, you can be in the middle of trouble, in the middle of pressure and you can be all over it. And that's what they do, right? They turn up and say, this could go really badly, apostles. Yeah, we know. Yeah, you killed Jesus. <laughs> They're all over it. What about this one? Here's being attuned to a louder voice. Rejoicing in suffering. So this cool-headed... Pharisee steps forward and says let's not kill these boys let's take it easy on them we'll just beat them up <laughs> and we don't know what that is uh, but it was probably 39 lashes how loud would the voice of pain be on your back after you've been beaten up with the 39 lashes It'd be pretty loud wouldn't it Luke, uh, Luke 6 says this, Blessed are you when, it, when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy like you just bought a Hilux. Well, it doesn't say the Hilux bit, but it says to leap for joy. It says that. It says that in Luke 6. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. You know, the same kind of uh, saying of Jesus is mentioned in Matthew 5 verse 12 where it actually talks about blessed are you when you're persecuted. Do you know how you can celebrate and rejoice when, you, when your back has just had a good flogging? If you're attuned to a louder voice, you can do that. And it's evidence that someone's attuned to a louder voice. There's this steadiness. Here's, here's the last one. And we'll finish up on this. Look at the kind of message that's actually being proclaimed. This is a sign that they're attuned to a louder voice. They're out talking about 
about Jesus. They're talking about the work that he's done on the cross. You go back to Acts 5 verse 20 and it specifically says this, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in their situation and I wasn't attuned to a louder voice, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be getting out my systematic theology and I'd be looking up H and looking for hell, doctrine of hell, because that's the next thing that I'm going to be going out and saying. <laughs> Some of you are going, he's a harsh guy. That's a thing, right? You just go, man, God, you seem to get these people. But what are they doing? They're out there. And they're telling about this life. They're saying that, that, that Jesus, in Jesus, is life. And in his death on the cross is life for you. Not just in the future, but right now. There's actually life for you. And at the end of the section of, this, uh, of Acts 5 here, it says, Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They don't cave. They keep going. And that's hard, right? When people hate you and they want to kill you, to actually go out and proclaim a hope-filled, positive message is really hard, isn't it? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? But the ability to do that actually comes from hearing a louder voice. That's where it comes from. You don't have to cave and just get them back. Let's bring out the harsh truth about eternal damnation. Like you... You don't have to do that, right? Now, that's going to be appropriate in the right place, and I don't have an issue, and we're, we're supporters of that doctrine, right? But you get my point here. If you're attuned to God's voice and you're doing the things that He wants you to do, and you're not being impacted by the opinions of other people, that puts you in a far more stable position to speak things that are good and right and helpful in the right moment. And maybe the uh, music team can come up now. Let me ask you a couple of reflective questions just to uh, finish with, just in case you didn't get enough before. Do, do you want to be that free from the opinions of other people? Do you? Like that's, that's a good question, right? Because who knows that the opinions of other people can be a big time slavery. That is a jail, the opinions of other people. And do you know what happens? I'll tell you one thing that happens is um, the opinions of other people, not only are they slavery in a jail, but you actually disappear because you don't have an opinion anymore. Because you're just thinking all the time about what everyone else's opinions are. And if someone was actually to come up to you and say, what do you actually think about that? You probably wouldn't even know half the time. Because you haven't even thought about it. It doesn't even kind of come on your radar. Now you look at the apostles and I look at them and I just go, Peter, do you, do you want to be that free from the opinions of others? Do you want to be that free from the opinions of others? And you, uh, you might say, well, I don't want the persecution. <laughs> but I didn't ask that. Do you, do you want to be free from the controlling, fearful slavery to other people's opinions? If, if you answer yes to that, right, do you know what needs to happen? God's voice has to get louder for you. And God's your estimation of God has just got to increase. It's just, that's just what has to happen. Well, how do you do that? How do you get God's presence and his voice louder? Well, you need to get, you need to, get to know him more. And, and these, these are not trite little things that I'm saying to you. It's like, oh, Pete's got a little silver bullet for you today. It's not a sneaky little tricky hack. It's actually the real deal because what actually happens is other people's opinions become God-sized and they mean too much to you. And the only way to actually make them smaller is to make God bigger in your life. 
So the, the next question needs to be, hopefully you're sitting there and you go, well, how do you do that? Well, you pray more, you read your Bible more, you love him more, you go to church more, you get in community more, you, you get people to pray for you more, you dedicate more time to him to be in his presence so that he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you can walk up to someone who normally intimidates you and just go, oh, you're pathetic. Oh, you don't say it, but... <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I'm pathetically small. Why would I be afraid of you and the things that you think? And some of you in this room, just by, I'm not saying because I know that I know, but just by the law of averages and by the, by the maths, struggle with this in really deep ways. Okay? And some of you have been really controlled by the opinions of other people and you have disappeared. And it, it happens. Like sometimes I, uh, I talk with married couples and there'll be one married, one of the, one of the spouses is, just wants to please the other one and they just kind of disappear in the marriage and you just can't do a relationship when one you can't do a marriage when one person's disappearing all the time because they're just trying to please the other person all the time you can't do any relationship when that happens if if you're one of if you're one of these people that i'm talking about that struggle with it on a deeper level the good news is that jesus wants to help you and he will help you, and it's part of his plan to help you. The not as nice news is you're just going to have to work harder to get a fuller sense and a fuller vision of who God is. If, it, if it's a harder struggle for you, you just got to work harder. All right? And, uh, and it's good work. It's enjoyable work. It's hanging out with Jesus' work.